wanna give love to the city, that's a fact. But you're gonna need help if you wanna make an impact. Well endowed, you want to be well endowed with the Edmonton community. Things really happen when you find that you're well endowed. Hi everyone, welcome to the Well Endowed Podcast. I'm Elizabeth Fonkink. And I'm Andrew Paul. This podcast is brought to you by Edmonton Community Foundation, and we are a proud affiliate member of the Alberta Podcast Network. Edmonton is full of generous donors who've created endowment funds at ECF. These funds generate money to support charities in Edmonton and beyond. On this podcast, we share stories about how these funds help strengthen our community, because it's good to be well-endowed. On this episode, Julian Fade presents the final installment of Trailheads, a history of urban planning in Edmonton. We've covered a lot of ground in this series. We've looked at the pre-fort and post-fort history of Edmonton, how World War II influenced urban design decisions, how the personal vehicle has guided the way we prioritize our streets, how public transit shapes our city, and the challenges that come with designing an urban environment in a place that faces some of the longest winters in the world. In the sixth part of this special series, Julian is joined by Andrew Nack, City Councilor for Ward 1 and Kaylin Anderson, the former director of the City Plan of Edmonton. Together they will look at City of Edmonton's new city plan, which was approved by City Council in December of 2020. Now that we know the history of how we got the city we have today, it's time to look to the future. What is the city planning to do to address the issues we've looked at in Trailheads? What might Edmonton look like in the next 50 to 100 years as we approach a population of 2 million people? Let's find out. Take it away, Julian. Over the course of the last five episodes of Trailheads, we've explored many facets of Edmonton's history, from the first peoples making Edmonton a gathering place to how we create public spaces today, from how the car has carved out a path dependency to what public transit can mean for a city's residents. In this, the final episode of Trailheads, we look to the future. How can we, as a city, move forward to create an Edmonton that is sustainable, equitable, profitable, and diverse? To answer these questions, we'll need to look at the new city plan that was approved by Council on December 7th of 2020. This document will be used to chart the path forward as Edmonton grows to a population of 2 million people and beyond. To help me understand this plan and guide us through what the city is doing to address the potential speed bumps it may be up against, I spoke to two people helping to lead that change. My name is Andrew Knack. I am very fortunate to be serving as the city councillor for what is currently known as Ward 1 in the city of Edmonton, although those ward names will change in the uh, October election. And? Kaylin Anderson, formerly director of the city plan with the city of Edmonton, and I'm now the vice president of capital planning and chief planner for the National Capital Commission. In the first episode of the series, we discuss the pre-fort history of this place we now call Edmonton. Louis Cardinal and Carolina Romich gave us a history lesson on this traditional gathering place for diverse communities from across the prairies, and touched on the historical significance of the Rossdale Flats. In the second episode, I spoke to former historian laureate Shirley Lowe and planner and planning historian Eric Backstrom about post-fort Edmonton and how this modern city came to be. These episodes highlight the importance of understanding the real history of this area. So, moving forward, how will Edmonton continue to honor its rich Indigenous history in its future planning, design, and development? 
there's a couple of ideas on this. And it's probably worth stating right at the very beginning that I don't think I should be the one to, to, uh, to say this is how it should be done. This needs to be done in partnership with our indigenous communities because we need to make sure that we are properly honoring the history and not making assumptions that whatever we're doing as a council is in fact honoring that history. You know, there's been things like we put on indigenous names to certain areas and communities, but I think we need to go far beyond that. Through the development of the city plan, a lot of outreach and engagement took place with members of Treaty 6, Edmonton's MOU partners. MOU stands for Memorandum of Understanding and with our urban Indigenous people and communities. And rich feedback was, and perspective was provided throughout this process over about two years. And those insights were used to uh, actually develop the policy that became part of the city plan. So I won't go through all of the policy, but I will state something that I think is pretty important, which is that the city plan embeds the Truth and Reconciliation Commission's calls to action, including uh, adopting the United Nations Declaration of the Rights of Indigenous People as a framework for reconciliation. Um, that's one of the key policies in the plan. And so the kinds of considerations that are embedded into the plan include focuses on safety, security, and anti-racism, culture and storytelling, as well as ceremonial practices and naming, housing and affordability, collaboration with our neighbors like Enoch Cree Nation, which is just directly to the west of Edmonton, environmental management and stewardship, community engagement, economic development, and creative enterprise. So it's a very broad set of ideas, really focusing on what we heard from Edmontonians and from partners within the broader Treaty 6. And if you take a look at the city plan itself, it might be a small gesture, but I think it's a really critical one, uh, which is that Edmonton's name is actually written uh, in Cree on the front cover, which really is a first for a long-range planning document in our community. Beyond using traditional names for areas of the city, there have been other ideas put forward, like that of creating an urban reserve within city limits. I've heard suggestions from uh, folks like former Grand Chief Billy Morin, who have talked about, is it time to have an urban reserve within the city of Edmonton limits? And there are locations, there are cities that have done that before. And I think it would make a lot of sense to seriously explore doing that finding a land that can be then set up as an urban reserve. I think there's a lot of opportunity within that. So I'd really like to explore that. And again, in partnership with all of our Indigenous communities, not just the Edmonton area, the, the Edmonton region and beyond. So that to me is one of the ideas that could have a pretty substantial impact because it's not something we had thought of before. It's not something that we had really explored in the past, but it is an idea that is starting to pick up a lot of steam. And, and I think there's a lot of potential in it. On the third episode, I spoke to planner Ashley Salvador and community advocate Julie Cusick. We examined the phenomenon of car culture in Edmonton and how it's paved the way for the car-dominant city we have today. Thus, my question for Kaylin and Councillor Knack is, how does Edmonton start to change its car culture or car-first mentality in favor of something more sustainable, space-efficient, and equitable? 
With all good complex questions, there's going to be a complex answer. The car is a symptom, not a cause of many of the things that we lament. We also have to remember where we are in terms of the era that Edmonton was built. This community was predominantly constructed after the Second World War. And while cars were definitely the dominant mode of transportation, and so of course our urban form responds to that. So as we're thinking about how we might change in the future, and it's going to be critical, by the way, to think about that uh, mobility paradigm and our vision for mobility as we grow from one to two million people, because we are currently at about three and a half million trips a day pre-pandemic, and it'll be up over seven million trips a day by the time we double to two million. So we can't just add all of those trips onto our existing road network and expect anything other than congestion and frustration. So we need to think about how we travel. It's about more than just the mode that we use to move. We have to start thinking about density, diversity, and design across all different parts of our community. So what I would say is that one of the ways to mitigate against the dependence on a car is to invest in transit. And I think we'll probably talk about that and to enable more walking and cycling opportunities. But that doesn't really work unless you have good destinations that you can reach via those modes. So it's not just about building transportation infrastructure, it's about redeveloping our urban form. It's a long issue to resolve because we've essentially built a city that designed for a vehicle and you don't change that overnight. And if you don't do it right, you don't really get that buy-in from people. If all you're doing is trying to make driving more difficult, what ends up happening is you just get pushback and then there's not that broader appreciation and understanding of why you might wanna have more compact communities, why you might wanna be able to easily access something nearby. So I operate a little bit with that thinking in mind that we built the city the way it is. We shouldn't punish people for having to have made a choice that, well, really wasn't even a choice. If you're buying a home in the city of Edmonton in the last 15 years, it is very likely you bought a home in the suburban parts of the city, outside the Anthony Henday, into communities that had no amenities. And so really, you had almost no choice but to own a car. So how you begin to address that is you start by enhancing the other alternatives making sure there are viable alternatives in place for people to even consider. Because again, I could make driving harder all day long, but that's not actually constructive because if my transit trip is still gonna take me an hour and a half to get from one side of the city to the other, and my drive is 20 minutes, I'm gonna drive. And if you make five minutes harder or 10 minutes harder, and it's still an hour and a half, I'm gonna be taking my car and I'm gonna be grumpy about it because you made it harder and you didn't give me a better alternative. Kalen reframes the discussion from one that is cars versus everybody to one that highlights minimizing the distance between where we are and where we need to go. Frankly, the objective shouldn't be to move faster and more efficiently. It should be to move less. And we move less because we have what we need close at hand in our own community. So that's the bigger, broader objective um, overall. So over time, I would say that it's less about trying to battle against the hegemony of the car and more about enabling more opportunities for other choices to be made. A lot of people simply don't have the option not to use a car. And so that's what we need to think about. Do people have access to transit? Are they able to reach what they need within reasonable walking or cycling distance? Are their communities completely designed in a way that enables local living? So as a city, how you start shifting from a car culture, you make sure that 
you've set up a process for development companies, for community organizations who want to help us achieve that. Make sure it's being set up in a way that's simple. Make sure you're finding ways to support those groups who are trying to activate our spaces because we can't do it alone. We can't build everything we need as a city that will allow us to have 15 minute districts across the city equally. But if we're working together with others, we sure can do that and have those amenities and services starting to be introduced in all those areas. Suddenly you provide people with a viable opportunity to say, you know what, we don't actually need to drive to go get groceries today. We, you know, we just need milk. And yeah, it's about 20 cents more at the smaller spot here, but gosh, it's a five minute walk. Like, why don't we go do that? Instead of a 30 minute drive to superstore, I got to get the kids in the car, you know, you're doing all this other stuff. No, you're set. The fourth episode was all about transit. We got a perspective on public transit's importance to any city from Dr. Emily Grise from the School of Urban and Regional Planning at the University of Alberta. And we also heard from Free Transit Edmonton on how we can make public transit more accessible, equitable, and fair. So what's the future of public transit in Edmonton? How does the city plan support what's already built and enhance its offerings into the future? So the thing that's really cool about the city plan and the perspective that it tries to advance in terms of shaping our future is that it's considering transportation, land use, economic development, environmental strategies, and providing good service to people uh, in one integrated way. So public transit hits on all of those buttons, really influences how we live, how we move, how we, the impact that we have on our environment and our economic prosperity. And of course, on social equity and ensuring that people have access to their communities and to the goods and services that they need and to their jobs. So with all of that background in place, the city plan really focuses quite extensively on the strategic expansion of mass transit and it builds off of where we've come from. So it's not a revolution, it's an evolution. The city has recently redesigned the bus network, which was originally designed to move just 400,000 people and now looks to put in place service for more than 1 million. This change will take place in late April 2021 and should make for some major changes to how transit functions in Edmonton. It's a new system that is going to run more like you see it in other large metropolitan cities that have far greater frequency that don't even need a bus schedule because you know, you know, during the day, the buses come in every 10 minutes. And so if you just see the one path, you know, well, it's not a big deal. I'll wait 10 minutes and the next one's coming right behind it. So the bus network redesign, I think, begins us down a path of creating a better system. The continued expansion of the LRT is critical because you can have a phenomenal bus system, but if you don't have a, a proper transit spine, it's very hard to allow people to easily access other parts of the city. So we need to continue the development of our LRT. We're building LRT out west. And then we'll need to look at the further expansion of the lines further northwest, further south to reach to reach more people. So that's one step in helping to provide an alternative. It's creating a more, more robust transit system. But it's also providing those other modes of transportation, the active modes of transportation, people who are using their feet, people who are taking their bike, people who are going to be using scooters. Uh, we need a network, uh, a proper network that people can move throughout the city by those modes. We're going to need to provide excellent public transit as well as cycling, walking and rolling opportunities to ensure that we have an accessible community for everyone. So within the city plan, if you were to look at the mobility systems that we've called out, one is around active transportation, 
One is around mass transit explicitly, and the third is around goods movement. So rest assured that transit's an important, not only important, dare I say critical part of how we're going to be moving around our city in the future. And transit could take very different forms. Right now, we are building our LRT and expanding our buses, but by the year 2065, there might be new technologies to explore, new connections to make, new apps to leverage. You know, I almost sound feel like I sound foolish even sort of trying to pontificate about it because the truth is we don't really know what the future of mobility is in the very long term, but what we do know is that people like to connect, they'll need to get around, and they'll want to do so as efficiently conveniently and as healthfully as possible. And transit plays a critical role in that. Urban design was the topic of our fifth episode. In it, we spoke to Jill Robertson, landscape architect and urban designer from the Dialogue Edmonton studio, and Dr. Robin Mazumder, an environmental neuroscientist who's using cutting-edge technology to help us understand how urban space makes us feel. So, What will Edmonton do in the future to build well-designed, equitable, and accessible public space that make Edmonton a more livable city? Well, city design is uh, super interesting, and it happens at all different scales. We can think about it from the way that a sidewalk meets a building, meets a road, and the trees that are planted, and the street furniture that is distributed as a very intimate, personal kind of uh, piece of urban design. But we can also think about it from the macro city and city region scale. How compact do we want to be? What kind of densities do we want to achieve? How do we want to connect our neighborhoods to our parks and open spaces, etc.? So uh, city design traverses all all of those scales. And the cool thing about the city plan is that it makes space for all of the scales. Of course, it mostly focuses on the citywide and district level, so pretty big geographies, but it provides some good direction in terms of how we need to think about building those really intimate, special people places. Uh, that we all call home because nobody experiences Edmonton or any city as a large geographic area on a map. We all experience our neighborhoods and our workplaces and, you know, our, our favorite ravines to walk in. There are some communities that do lack a little bit of green space, and we actually already have a plan built in to, to the city through what's called uh, Breathe, our open spaces master plan that sets out where we know there is a lack of amenity space, green space in particular. And then we have a budget associated to be able to acquire land as a sort of on an opportunity basis to help fill in those gaps. So that's one role the city plays uh, in terms of true public access. The other things I think that we do to help make sure we have uh, equitable, accessible public spaces, and I think we've already seen that quite well, is uh, we need to talk about the library system that we have. Uh, really, truly, one of the only public, truly public buildings for anyone to go to. And we don't have them uh, across every part of our city as, as easily accessible for everyone, but those buildings do exist as a public space for anyone who wants to go attend, uh, no matter what it is they, they need to do or, or want to do. And then, thankfully, I, I, we've seen a lot of great work from them in making sure they're reaching out to areas that maybe aren't within easy access of those spaces so that people have access to the same types of programs and supports that uh, others do who are right beside those facilities. The city also has some more innovative ideas to create areas for public space and help grow local business at the same time by activating community league buildings around the city. So in some cases, it's something as simple as a change that we made uh, this past year, late in 2020. There was a, a motion that um, myself and, and Councillor Tim Cartmel brought forward in having chatted with the Edmonton Federation of Community Leagues because they said to us, why can't we 
sublicense our space out to a yoga instructor who might actually make profit. So now community leagues can go look at their spaces and say, how can we better activate this? There's some incredible community halls that have great commercial kitchen spaces. Why couldn't they go and find a startup restaurateur or a chef who wants to start developing their craft and operate a small little cafe out of the community league hall as a gathering point for spots that maybe don't have access to a cafe nearby. One of the major impediments to public spaces in Edmonton specifically is our snowfall. The need for snow removal can be a major hurdle to creating areas people can gather, enjoy a coffee, and support local. Councillor Knack sees this problem as one the city should shoulder themselves, leaving local business owners to help create the types of city streets we all want to live, work, and play on. Everything that we just learned in the summer, we can apply in the winter. And yes, we're a winter city, and we need to figure out how to deal with snow. But that actually shouldn't be the problem of the businesses. That should be the problem of the city. If you have somebody that says, I want to set up a winter patio, our answer should be, fantastic, thank you. We're going to figure out how to deal with the snow on our end. You go right ahead and do it. Because we are a winter city. And these are the type of things that we have to actually really get behind. In order to articulate what types of spaces Edmonton wants to achieve in the future and how we're going to get there, Kayla and her team working on the new city plan broke it down into two categories. One was around our essential city, which is really about preserving and maintaining the place that we've inherited from previous generations and we want to be excellent stewards of to carry forward into the future. So to make that more concrete, something like our River Valley, which was first planned in 1907, has been a, a legacy project over 100 years and the city plan says, let's carry that on for the next hundred. So that's a really important part about thinking about how we design our city and just basically preserving uh, and maintaining what's already working well. On the flip side, we have an opportunity to really deliberately shape our community in a different way. And so in the city plan, it's referred to as the future city, which is really about making those deliberate and purposeful choices for change. And building a livable city for people requires in equal measure thinking about both of those things, that the, the essential city that we're stewarding and the future city that we're deliberately building so that we can become healthy, urban, climate resilient and prosperous. And that brings us to now. So what does the future of Edmonton planning look like? And what should the key areas of focus be moving forward? Well, I think the future of planning in Edmonton is bright, and I think it's critical. I think in times of adversity or reaction to short-term emergencies, like the one that we're in right now with the global pandemic, it's easy to fall into a mode where we don't think about long-range planning as much, but I'm really proud of our community for having prioritized it. The, the city plan of Edmonton was approved by council in the middle of the pandemic, which if, if that's not a testament to the belief of forward thinking and getting focused on that, I don't know what is. So I'm really proud of our community for doing that. And I think that it's a sign that more good work is to come. In fact, I know good, more good work is to come. So one of the things, even before the most recent kind of city plan approval and the pandemic that we, we lived through, that the, one of the conversation points around the, the future of planning uh, really was that we have to find a way 
in this system of increasing complexity that we live within to find simple approaches, so to simplify rules and regulations, to focus our attention on those things that enable innovation, that support businesses, and that facilitate the needs of diverse people. I think we should all be paying close attention to the future of mobility. This will be a probably a really quickly changing landscape. Uh, the technology is rapidly advancing. What we will be contending with in the future on that, on that front, but it'll be something to think about and always reminding ourselves that the tech needs to serve the people and not the other way around when it comes to mobility. So too, we'll be thinking about our climate emergency and frankly, a biodiversity emergency that's, you know, uh, prevalent in the world as we're thinking about how we build in a smarter way. So I think that'll be a, a key priority for, for planning in the future and ultimately how we consider the needs of people. So equity and inclusion and being welcoming and thoughtful about a diverse range of people who we don't know yet because they haven't either been born or moved here yet is going to be really important. We need to think about safety, security, and dignity for everyone. Canada's population is really one of the most diverse in the whole world, and this is such an incredible asset. But we can't ignore the disparities and inequities that exist today, and we can't take our eye off this ball. So the way that we do our planning should really be about enabling opportunities for everyone to thrive. And it should definitely not contribute to inequalities and ongoing discrimination. So I think those are pretty important points. Maybe just maybe as my closing thought about, you know, what is the future of planning in Edmonton? I think it really needs to focus really strongly on fostering our economic development strength. It's not a guarantee that Edmonton will grow to 2 million people with 1.1 million jobs. It's our aspiration. And frankly, it's our plan. So the one thing I would say, you know, as a, as a resident of Edmonton, as a, as a lover of the city, and as a passionate urbanist and community member, is that we're all going to have to work really hard together to support investment, businesses, and employment opportunities opportunities. And if we work hard together and as we work hard together, and city planning has a role to play in that, but it's not the end all and be all. Uh, it's only through that collective effort and commitment to creating the kind of city that will foster the creativity and innovation of tomorrow that we will be in a position to welcome the world into a city that feels like home and that home will be Edmonton. I truly do believe that the future of planning in Edmonton is about these 15-minute communities or 15-minute districts or 15-minute cities, however you want to talk about it, because we've been doing this experiment of building further and further out uh, nonstop. We know the costs of doing that. We know the challenges that that puts even on our mature neighborhoods, which essentially hollowed out over a similar time period. And we need to do it differently. And again, it's important to say that this change isn't forcing people to move into the core. It's just about making sure the choice exists. So I think the future of Edmonton planning, if I could boil it down to one word, is, is it needs to be about choice because we haven't done a good job as a city of providing Edmontonians with choice. We've done a great job of saying, great, you want to move in our city? Wonderful. Well, there's a great house outside the Henday. That's going to be the cheapest spot for you. You're going to need at least one car, probably two. And uh, and then come on in and go drive around to wherever you need. And, and great. Some people want that, right? I don't want to take that away from somebody, but I just want to make sure that folks who might want to say, you know what, I'd love to live a little more centrally. You know, I'd love to live in the community, my community of Jasper Park, because this is a 15 minute community, one of the few in the West End. It's like 15 minutes from downtown if I were driving, but it's got great transit access. I could bike there if I wanted to. 
and it's got all these great shops and schools and medical services and whatever you, you name it, it's, it's there. I want somebody to be able to make that choice. The pro-choice approach to city planning is the best way to ensure that everyone is able to get what they need to live their best lives in Edmonton. To build a truly excellent city, its residents and visitors need to be able to choose where they want to live, where they want to conduct business, where they want to enjoy services, and where they want to gather and provide them with viable options to choose how they get from point A to point B. And once you have given that choice to everyone, that is how you end up creating a more complete city. When you provide those choices, it suddenly changes that cost dynamic. It changes the way people will consider where they want to live and what they actually want out of their life. One of my colleagues over the course of working on the city plan came back from London and he had this great little expression that was on a plaque on a wall. And it was, the future cannot be predicted, but futures can be invented. And I think that that's exactly uh, what we're all up to together. We're inventing our future and, and it's an optimistic one that's welcoming and beautiful. Edmonton's future won't be decided by what's in the city plan. It'll be decided by the people who call this place home. If you want to live in a place that honors our Indigenous history and tells the stories of our past, a, a place that lets you move through it with an abundance of choice, and a place that creates and holds space for all people, we'll need to work together to make that happen. No doubt, Edmonton has a bright future ahead. A huge thank you to all the talented people who took the time to chat to me for this project. Your hard work and passion make this city a better place to live. And a special thanks to the wonderful team at the Edmonton Community Foundation, especially Andrew Paul and Lisa Pruden. I can't thank them enough for their wisdom, support, and patience during the making of this series. I'm Julian Fade. Thanks for listening to Trailheads. Thanks very much to Kaylin Anderson and Councillor Andrew Knack for sharing their time with us. And many thanks to Julian Fade for bringing us this series. Be sure to check our show notes for links to our research material for this episode. And don't forget to head over to ecfoundation.org to see what's been happening at Edmonton Community Foundation. Well, friends, that brings us to the end of the show. Thanks so much for sharing your time with us. We hope you enjoyed it. If you did, be sure to share it with your friends and family. And don't forget to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Those reviews will help new listeners find us. And you can visit us on Facebook, where you can share your thoughts and see some pictures from the podcast. Thanks again for tuning in. We've been your hosts, Elizabeth Bonkink. And Andrew Paul. Until, Until next, next time. Okay. I promise he's going to be better next time. The Well Endowed Podcast is produced by Edmonton Community Foundation. And edited by Lisa Pruden. You can visit our website at wellendowedpodcast.com. Subscribe to us on iTunes. And follow us on Twitter at the ECF. Our theme music was created by Octavo Productions. Check them out at octavoproductions.com. And as always, don't forget to visit Edmonton Community Foundation at ecfoundation.org. Well Endowed.